Hi, and welcome to June Millington and Friends, a podcast about music, why we do it, how we do it, the magical and spiritual aspects of writing and reaching deep inside ourselves. So dive deep with us. It's sponsored by the Institute for the Musical Arts, and if you'd like to support our efforts, please go to www.ima.org and click on any donate button. Thank you. Flying low to check it out I never planned to so honored to have you here. I'm so honored to be here in your beautiful studio. That's incredible. And you just performed here tonight, and um, that was incredible as well. But you just made a comment to me that I thought was pretty incredible. You said, the woman no one's ever heard of about yourself. <laughs> yes. Now, how is that possible? Would you? Yeah, it's, I'm like one of those people that's always in the picture with, you know, <laughs> all the people. I've been around a long time, and I've played with everyone. But I just have that experience. A lot of people have never heard my name. They don't know that it's me. I think because I was in a band at the height of my fame, I was in a band. So they all knew the band name. It's so. me, Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known you I'm so long here. since, what, the late 70s or something. Yeah. And I've seen you play with so many people and have your albums on Wyndham Hill and, and play with Chris Williamson and David Balakrishnan. You did mm-hmm. a, a show at IMA West and Bodega. Right, right. And every time I've seen you perform, you've just completely blown my mind. Aside from you, Aww. the royal you, you have one of the most musical spirits I believe I've ever known. And that's really saying a lot. Wow, that's saying a lot. Definitely uh, feels like my first language music ah, yeah well speak more about that i'm the youngest of six kids and grew up in small towns in indiana and michigan and there wasn't much else going on and everyone was very musical so i think it was one of those situations where what is it about you midwest girls i know so many great women musicians who are from the midwest really yeah interesting yeah Harpist, percussionist, it's incredible. Maybe there's not a lot of other stuff going on. (laughs) Well, maybe, but also you have it in your music system. Uh Uh-huh, that's true. I believe. Ours was a lot of church, a lot of singing in the choir, a lot of... See, I had an older gay brother who had the Broadway shows going 24-7, you know, on the albums of playing all the... (laughs) So you were born where? In southern Michigan, a little tiny town. And then we moved to a small town in Indiana called Kokomo, Indiana. It's about, you know, oh, yes. 50,000 people. Well, they were from Geary, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I remember Kokomo when I was in Fanny, when we were yeah. touring, was one of the worst smelling towns. Yeah. <laughs> There's a GM plant there, yeah. Terrible. Anyway, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, it's not an illustrious place at all. <laughs> right. Okay, so 
music. Do you have a memory of the first time you really oh. understood that? I think for all of us, something happens to us. There's a moment. For mm-hmm. me, it was the moment I heard someone playing a guitar when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Of course, I sang in choirs and all that in the Philippines, and I loved it. But there was a moment when I knew. Yeah. When you were infused. Do you remember the first time you were infused? Oh, yeah. Mine was when they gave me, I was in preschool, I think, or kindergarten, four or five years old, and they gave me a rhythm instrument for rhythm band. And I just lit up and I started telling everyone I could tell that I was going to be a musician (laughs) and I was going to travel the world and play rhythm. I just like went on fire with it. I remember that. And so you dropped that for a while and you came back to it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So you moved Mm -hmm. around to the Midwest and then... And then we, when I was 13, we moved to Ghana, Accra, Ghana, because my parents, I don't know, they, you know, our family kind of got hit by the 60s head on because one of my, I have four older brothers, one of them was in the infantry in Vietnam when I was in the third grade or so. And that really tore our family up. I tore my parents up, it tore, I mean, our parents were very solid marriage, but they, it was that devastation of not believing in the system anymore, I think that just was mm-hmm. so fundamental. Here's this Midwestern family that's just so classic. And then and then to have one of the kids come back so destroyed. And, was he? He was Yeah, destroyed. totally destroyed. He was in the infantry. He saw a lot of action. He came back, did a lot of drugs, was totally lost. And I think that was kind of the impetus for our family. My parents kind of wanted, I mean, they, they kind of wanted to just get the other kids that were left out of the country in a way. Yeah. I think I think my mother So what just year was, did you move to? We moved in 71. We moved to Ghana. You were there till 73. Till 73. And then we moved to Orange County. I don't know what that decision was about. But it, my dad had a little bit of a, his company that was in Orange County. They thought, we don't want to go back to Indiana. We'll go to Well, let's Orange go back County. to Ghana just a little bit. I, I, I <laughs> need like to crazy. know more about that. How, you know, I came here from the Philippines with, of course, right. our family, and I was an outsider. How old were you? you Uh, 13. So did you feel like an outsider in Ghana? And what did that experience do to you? It had to have done quite a bit. It did a lot. Okay, let's let's hear it. (laughs) Ghana was, I wasn't an outsider. We were all outsiders, all the expatriates that lived there. Mm -hmm. But it was a very diverse community. Like one of my best friends was from India. And then I had a lot of African-American friends and some African friends. But I went to an international school that was mostly expatriates. So kids from all over the world. And did you learn musically uh, yeah. a different part of the musical language, let's say? Well, we studied. I was just telling me on the drive here that my mother had the foresight to get us into a class with the premier master drummer of the Eve tribe. <laughs> and really? he taught us, like on Saturdays, a bunch of kids taught us how to do all the Eve drumming. And What is that in particular? That's the gong, the two-bell gong, and all, a lot of the classic African drumming that we think of is actually from the Eve tribe. So we just learned those rhythms that were a lot of three against four and all that stuff. And just with the guy who's the greatest guy, and he took us to the village where they make the drums and took us to where they make the gongs. And Is there a name we, you can share with us? Uh, his name is Mustafa Teti Adi, and he worked for like the British Museum. He was, he was just a big deal. So I, I was so lucky at 13 to get to study with him. Were you playing piano already? At yeah. The- Okay, so let's, if we could visit your experience with the piano for, because you are an incredible pianist and you compose on it, is that? Yeah, 
that's where I compose. Let's hear about it. Let's hear it. Piano was a very big part of our whole growing up. My older brother, who was gay, was a great classical pianist. And his and name is? Jim okay. Higby. He lives in Thailand now. And then, I don't know, I just, my mother loved piano. It was one of those ways to make your mom happy, like playing the piano. And and I just, I loved music. I just played a lot. It, it was easy for you to yeah. do the fingering? Mm-hmm. It came easily. Yeah. And she just really encouraged it. And then when we moved to Ghana, there were no TVs or anything. So I played, somebody gave me a Carol King songbook and I memorized all that. We, Did you really? <laughs> it was right when Tapestry came out. Oh and, my. So I learned all that and I was playing Beethoven and all kinds of stuff. So. And who was just, teaching you the Beethoven? Uh, in Indiana, that? I had okay. studied classical. Because you so. really have a touch and you're singing then because yeah. you write great songs and I love your voice. So how does that come into the picture? Yeah, that's just singing around the piano and and then I took up the guitar and like everyone in that era sang folk songs and so you never yeah. studied it you just no, sang never studied singing all right yeah. and you have a sister who plays guitar yeah who was in a band called Pele Juju yes Molly that I was a mm-hmm. huge fan of yeah she wrote all the music for that band unbelievable it was a great great women's African pop band. Oh, I mean I thought they were going to be huge stars something mm-hmm. happened along the way but you come from a really super talented family yeah. so far as i can tell mm-hmm. right yeah okay so orange county. <laughs> orange county ah there you're there i was an outsider i was a serious outsider i was the weird girl from africa there's a tina fey movie mean girls where the premise of the movie is she's moved from africa to orange county and i thought somebody must have told her my <laughs> life that was my life i was i got there as a junior in high school and we got there in August, and all the other kids in my family are, were at college, so I was the only kid at home. And I got there in August, and I didn't make a friend until Easter, until April. So I was just... How did they know I, that you had been to Africa? Oh, well, you know, did you just act I wore this what? t-shirt that said, oh. Africa, my native land. <laughs> <laughs> I would come with, like, head you know rap I would wear total I was just I was I wanted to be an African okay so, so you were asking for it I'm just kidding <laughs> I mean I did oh, okay yeah I was a, so I what was, broke the ice but also I, mean, I couldn't I made one I mean I did was friendly with people yeah. but it was just such a different you world. are a friendly person I mean, such you a are different totally world. approachable yeah I was friendly back then but but they weren't so friendly with me Oh my goodness! So different. You made a friend, and then we're still friends. We just had Thanksgiving together. We're still really good friends. So nice. Yeah. And that kind of broke the ice. And then I just got out of high school as fast as I could. I took night classes and graduated when I was sixteen and a half, and went to college and went and hightailed it up to the Bay Area to go to Mills. Oh, so that was where you went to college. Yeah. So So did you know anyone when you went to Mills? Uh, no. I didn't know any. My sister was going to Santa Cruz, so okay. I knew her. But yeah, so it was it was an adventure. Was it good for you? And you I didn't know the word lesbian. That's for sure. When I went to Mills, I learned it that year. <laughs> okay, you just jump right into that. I didn't even have to ask you. I mean, okay, I know you're married right now. 1975. Oh my goodness. That is fantastic. So yeah. you were playing in college or I was, what were you studying? You know, I was studying economics and languages because I wanted to go back to Africa and I had studied French a lot. I saw myself working in French West Africa doing like development work. I wanted to go back to Africa, okay. West Africa. Okay. I know about, I've visited East Africa, but I love West Africa. Mm-hmm. 
but I was in about five bands. I was always playing music and wait, my how did you get into played, five bands? Come I don't on. know. I just kept joining them. I kept joining playing fiddle and I had oh, started right, playing fiddle. Right. Fiddle. Where did you get into fiddle? Well, like, come <laughs> on. You play everything. How, how does that happen? Oh, right. That was in Orange play- County when I was a reject. I got it. Really? <laughs> yeah. So who gave you the fiddle? I mean, um, look, this is incredible. You yeah. play so much stuff. I right. Well, that again goes back to my brother who was in Vietnam because he was still kind of monosyllabic and staying oh. with us a lot. And uh, he got a banjo and started playing the banjo. And I thought, well, I'll play fiddle with him you know and that was easy for you I mean how I, did you learn these I took reels, a few yeah okay. I know I took a few lessons some lessons with the guy and just happened to be the guy who was playing fiddle for Emmy Lou Harris this guy was incredible living in Fullerton so uh-huh. I was just a lefty Fullerton when I was 15 Fender. yeah Fender right yeah. yeah yeah he taught me all the reels and and I just really loved playing the fiddle at, so just from a the minute he taught me all the reels that sounds so easy right <laughs> I mean, we're we're talking fingering, we're yeah. talking phrasing, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, was that easy for you? I mean, how did he teach you, or how did you teach yourself? It just it came to you. He right would here? write it down on a okay. piece, and then he'd play it for me a couple times, and then I'd go home and learn it. And I don't okay. know. I just like I like learning music. I love practicing music. Right. So, so as I me. said, you're one of the most musical spirits I know. Right. So I guess I took it up by the at 15, and by the time I was 17, I was making a lot of money playing fiddle on the street. I just really got on the into street? it on the street. And when I went to Mills, then I was in several bands that played at Fisherman's Wharf and yeah. ones that played at the Irish pubs. And it was a whole world of fiddle music going on then. I loved it. And I loved the fact that because I'd been so into African music, the fiddle music to me was like the one part of American culture I could relate to that was felt earthy and rhythmic. And I could not relate to what was on the radio except for Joni Mitchell and the singer songwriters. But Mm -hmm. I needed something that was connected to nature and music at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I loved the fiddle. That is nice. Mm -hmm. That's nice. So, okay, there you are making lots of money playing fiddle on the going to Miss, uh, Mills College. And yeah. then? And, and then? And then I went to France, to Paris, to the Sorbonne, because I was, wanted to get my French better. That was when I was about right, 18. Right, because you were going back to Africa? Mm-hmm. Well, did that tie right. in? Okay. Right. And I also just had a feeling that I needed to go to Paris to meet somebody. Sometimes these things are intuitions mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. are just, they lead you to places, right? Um and where did you go to school? And I mean, how? And uh, it was a program for foreign students at the Sorbonne to learn French. But then again, I ended up playing fiddle in a two bands. Stop! Stop! <laughs> You're killing me. I would just show up. <laughs> they go, yeah, keep doing that. Ah, <laughs> and ah. I had a friend. We'd play in the subway, and and it was just. Somehow they loved American musicians in Paris. So uh-huh. suddenly I was just in demand. We opened for the one of the biggest rock stars, me and this woman that I taught her some music and the two of us started playing and getting big gigs and it was really fun. And I, as I was just going home um, in the summer, I was gonna go back to Mills the next fall. Like in August, I was gonna leave Paris. And I met this band from the Bay Area that was touring in the festivals in France and it was the David Grisman Quintet. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> on their very first tour ever, ever. Really? Their album had just come out. You just run into these little people in little France. <laughs> little France. Just... <laughs> I know. 
Unbelievable. Yeah, that's where Daryl and I connected. Okay, so Daryl, Daryl. Daryl yeah. Anger, Daryl <laughs> Anger, the fiddle genius who, uh-huh. he was 24 and I was 19 and we fell in love, you know, we just did and, and we so started. did you feel diminished by his virtuosity or did you meet each other on a different level by falling in love, et cetera? That's always... Um, Interesting to me because musicians oftentimes are pretty insecure Mm -hmm. and we compare ourselves to somebody else. Did that happen? Well, I wasn't thinking I was a musician then. Okay. Now that answers a lot. Yeah. All right. I was just someone who loved to play. I was just someone who played all the time. And then... As opposed to now. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I guess I I did have a feeling like, okay... I'm playing all the time. I really should just do music and see if this is going to work because this is all I ever want to do and it's Mm -hmm. all I do, so I should just go for it. And even though I knew the practical side of me knew that it's not a very practical thing to do and it's, you know. Boy. Boy, howdy. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that and that it's short-lived. People's careers are, you know, Mm -hmm. short and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think Daryl was busy. He was gone a lot, but we would play a lot and have a lot of jam sessions at our house. And then, are we still in Paris? No, we moved. We were both from the Bay Area, so we. So you moved back moved to the Bay Area back. with yeah. Daryl. Yeah. You chucked the whole economics French yes, thing, exactly, and yes. decided and to just, do music. Decided to do music. Yeah. Okay. And I just was still at Mills. I had two more years at Mills, and then just did music and and. Uh, He's, he was kind of, he really encouraged me to play piano because I had more chops on piano mm-hmm. and he played violin already. Yeah. So I really dove into studying piano at that and point. And somehow you wrote most of the songs for his first solo album. Well, what is that story? He did a solo album that was more along the David Grisman quintet lines of music, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of jazz grass stuff. Oh, that absolutely, was yes. Right when it was first starting. It's oh. so incredibly hot. It was incredible. Yeah. The music that went on then. So what year would that have been that you that started to write music? Because uh, 78, previous... 79, okay. something like that. 78, I guess. He did a, a solo album, and he wanted to do one that was a duet with him and me. He has a part of him that always loves to work with whoever mm-hmm. he's with. He's doing that now with the woman he's with. He's working with her. So I wrote this piece that I thought was kind of Laura Nero meets minimalism music or something. Mm-hmm. I always had some kind of thing and it was a beautiful violin piano duet kind of wistful and sad in a way and but beautiful. And um this guy Will Ackerman who was starting this guy, a live this guy the little people we're meeting now in the little bay area. In the bay area. Okay, yeah. right. Well he was a little he had a, no, something in his garage. Yeah. He had two albums out on this label and he he knew Daryl so he he said, well, I like that one piece of you and the piano player. on it. I want a whole album of that. Can you guys do a whole album of that? And wow. we were like, okay, whatever. So, so you're stumbling in the around in the dark totally. doing this music thing, and you keep stumbling into great, into great situations. Yeah, situations that actually ignite you. Right. You are ready to be ignited on some level right. your entire life. And I yes. think that could be part of the reason why you feel like you're – not as well-known or whatever. You're not a Barbara Hebe and, you know, yeah. I got to get next to her. But you are sort of a jack-of-all-trades because right. you write, you sing, you play fiddle, you play piano. I don't even know what else you play. Right. And you played one of my favorite songs tonight in your set here at IMA. That's something about waiting. The waiting song, uh-huh. I mean, that's one of my favorite songs ever in wow. life. Wow. And you are also in Montreux. Right. 
That was Daryl and me. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what year that was, but that was the Wyndham Hill. Well, we started, Daryl and I started a band in 78, and that became Montreux. Okay. And you had a hit? We did a live at the Montreux Jazz Festival. We had this hit, 2B, that I wrote that became a big VH1 and radio hit. We had 8,000 people come to see us in Chicago. It was like... It suddenly showed me the power of the radio when you yes. get a tune that's really big on the radio. It's phenomenal what happens. Really. So you wrote that song, mm-hmm. and you played it tonight, and I could still feel its power. I mean, that is a timeless song. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's had a whole life of its own. It's amazing. Love Recount you. to me some other highlights in your life, because I don't know them all. I know mm-hmm. that you know Linda Tillery, Rhiannon, Vicki Randall, Teresa Troll, Chris Williamson. Right. You know all the women in the women's music scene, right. but you also know Wyndham Hill scene, and you know... I mean, there's so much in your I know, life. it's all so varied. I think that's why I never became that famous, because I was yes. in so many different things. Right. right, And I don't really care about being famous. I just want to play music that feels like life, you know, like living, breathing, creative stuff that hasn't been done and done and done and done. And you do it. Listen, I'm remembering a show you did at IMA West with David Balakrishnan that was off the chain, off the charts. I mean, how, how, how do you... How do you run into David Balakrishnan and, and, right. and create all that? I mean, that's a serious question. Right. How right. did you do that? David Balakrishnan is a Turtle Island guy who started Turtle Island. with. Because Wait, who started Turtle Island? Daryl and David Balakrishnan. Oh, my Started gosh. Turtle Island String okay. Quartet. So mm-hmm. there's another little highlight. Yeah. Well, our first band was Daryl, me, Mike Marshall, and Dave Balakrishnan. That was our, I see. our very first band. It was called Sahib. <laughs> Oh, I love it. What a good name. They were in David Grisman Quintet. Daryl uh, and Mike were both in David Grisman Quintet. Okay. Dave and I are still really close friends. We live like two blocks from each other. He's he's a great guy. So anyway. You are sailing through all yeah. this incredible music. Did you ever stop to think to yourself, this is, inc- this is incredible? Or does it just yeah. happen to you? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you're in the middle of stuff. You know, like, for example, right now, a lot of people are paying attention to Fanny and my slide guitar and Isn't ain't that, that peculiar. Awesome? And for me, okay, I'm so happy that they love it. But for us, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that was just another day at the office. Right. I wasn't stopping and thinking, isn't this incredible? Oh, yeah. You right. know, and my sister Jean said to me the other day, you know, that was really good. <laughs> and I didn't even realize at the time, she said, because we were just doing it. And you were having fun, yes. right? So that's what I'm asking you. Did you ever stop and think to yourself, this is incredible. Um, I hope this dream just never stops. Yes, definitely. Right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, you're having so much fun with the people that you're doing it with. Mm -hmm. And when you look at even like the early Beatles or whatever, they were best friends having a blast. And that's most good music, like the early album I did with Teresa Troll or Mm -hmm. even tonight with Mia. This was our very first duo concert. I feel that Mia Pixley. Yeah, when you you find someone or some situation Mm -hmm. that feels like it has that spark, you have to honor it. It's just like people who mean a lot to you in your life. Yeah. You have to honor that and just and nurture it. Like it's, it's like like you're nurturing like a child or anything. Well, it important seems to, to me that you catch a scent in the wind and you go for it and right. you're totally present for it. For example, you, Chris Williamson, Teresa Troll. I mean, I heard you a year ago and I thought that's the sound. That's the sound that 
the world needs to hear. That's American music. Right. But there's a special frisson to the... Uh, the sound of the voices yeah, together. Yeah, the, 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 the mixture, the combination, right. whatever the word is. I, I know you know right. it. It's incredible. That's magic, So that's right? your next thing. Hopefully right. you'll record a live album here. Yes. Um, I'm all for it because I'm one of your biggest fans, both individually, I know all three of you really well, but when I heard you guys together about a year ago, I internally flipped out, Mm -hmm. and I thought, what? The world needs to hear this. They need to know this sound. They need to re-familiarize themselves with the simplicity of a great sound, Right. not just Filled up with, you know what right, I'm talking about. exactly. The modernity of it all. Right. But when there's like this, you feel people's voices, the blend and the spirit with it, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's irresistible, actually. And there's something so seductive about it. Mm-hmm. I'm really getting back to this thing of, let's just hear the, the center, the real stuff right. that causes you to laugh, to cry, to sob with joy. There's really something to say for that. And I, hopefully here at IMA with the stuff that we're recording, the people, the younger generation who are coming through our classes, through right. our rock and roll girls camps, that hopefully we're getting reconnected with that because that is, I feel like that's my biggest job right now is to be true to that. Right. That's you know, and so what you important. did with Mia tonight was right, you know, right down the middle right. of, of that right. goal. Passing you know? it on to the younger uh-huh. generation, uh-huh. just like And there's nothing like... Um, did you say transmission? Because mm-hmm. I was just about to say a direct transmission. Right. It's like what the llamas do right. <laughs> with their students. You know, it's totally. a direct, you ignite them, you light the fire. And I think it's pretty hard to do that through YouTube. <sighs> Impossible. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very proud that we're doing what we do. And I get to speak with people like you who really have that central fire to pass on. You know, in... I believe the Cherokee Nation, there's a woman who is carries that ember, right? From mm. generation generations, there is an ember that's always lit. Wow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that is a serious job. Wow. But it's not spoken about a whole lot. Right, right. It's done. And it's done for us all. And there is no better time in the world to pay attention to that sacred duty. And music is a sacred duty. It is passing the secrets on. I know. And you I do, I, I would say I have a strong sense of an inner voice and listen yes. to try to spend time well i find when i practice then i'm in tune with my inner voice and what needs to happen next mm-hmm. so it's the actual moving music through my body gets gets me to know what what i need to do next that's really important and i have just following that through my life mm-hmm. and trying trying to not get in my own way and talk myself out of whatever I've heard, you know, whatever I've been felt guided to and try to stick with what you feel guided to. That's the, that's really, um, then life opens up. That's what it feels like. You're lucky if you can slow down enough to hear those voices because I think we're all being spoken to. Yes. And I think many of us are are trying to slow down and listen, Mm -hmm. uh, right now but I have a feeling that you and I kind of have that in common Mm -hmm. that we hear them right I've always heard them yeah you know my mom uh told me before she died that uh 
One day she just saw me standing at my crib and it was outside, you know, and in the Philippines. And I was just singing to the wind. I love that story wow. so much, you know. And she just kind of just told me. Wow. I was already probably in my 50s. Huh. I'm so glad I heard that. Wow. But that's the, the same thing. It's talking to you. You're singing to it. Right. And you're in the center of it all. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of our job. Yeah. And if we're lucky enough, we can hear it and we can follow follow the directive. I mean, I am May, as far as I'm concerned. I'm just taking orders. Right. This is not my idea. Right. The voices started to talk to me internally at a uh, meeting at Olivia Records in 1976. Wow. 1986, I'm living with Anne at Hampshire College, and they started to talk to me really loudly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, at the time, doing gigs all around the country, and I was in San Francisco talking to Angela Davis. Wow. I was speaking to Angela Davis, and I was telling her about these. They weren't just voices. They were coming into my dreams. Yes. And I didn't know what to do with it. And she said, well, get started. I'm like, what? I'm not an organizer. I can't do it. And she said the the one thing that could have worked with me, and that is, well, they're talking to you. (laughs) Get going. Wow. You know? Wow. And, um... That was absolutely irresistible. It got to the center. It got to the point They're very talking quickly. To you. They're exactly. talking to you. It's your path that you're here yeah. to do. Well, fortunately, yeah. I'm with Anne, and she can actualize things like right. that. I'm, She's you know, amazing. I'm the big mouth that just talks about the stuff, but she gets the job done, and she'd always wanted to be part of starting an educational institution. So that worked out it's really phenomenal. well. And with the music that we all do and that we all share and we know we're passing it on Mm -hmm. and i think that's it makes me ecstatic it really does it's you know like ecstatic dancing right (laughs) you know like that i feel like i'm whirling around i felt ecstatic tonight and it was it was a small crowd in the middle of winter with people braving winter to come out but i felt like ima there's just this bubble of magic kind of happening it's amazing it's It's the essential connection yeah yeah it is where people can be themselves you don't have to put on any airs and music is the it's our reward for being alive right and it is a giveaway Mm -hmm. you know a true giveaway is you give it away you're not expecting anything back right i mean of course if you're giving it away you're getting it back right but a true giveaway in that spirit that you know that it's cyclical, mm-hmm. that you put it out, it comes back to you. You don't have to ask too mm-hmm. much. Of course, we're asking for help all the time, but that's on a different level. Right. This is right in the center of where life is. Right. Music. Well, I was really called to do my most recent album is, is really a healing album. I felt like... I felt like my nervous system was getting so ratcheted up and everyone I knew oh. couldn't sleep and all. So I thought, I'm going to just kind of study what it is that brings in the slower brain waves and, and try to do an album that has that but has a lot of musical content at the same time. So that's my new album. is It's called Resonance. It's just It's a healing album. But then what's been interesting, it's just been out a few months, but I, I've never had a response to an album like this. It's like people say... I can't stop listening to it. It's like I have it on all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, because I need to go to that place. So anyway, I felt like just recently I've had that experience of following my inner voice to something that I don't normally do. I usually like to play fast. I don't like to play slow. (laughs) 
So you listen to the voices. How did you start to find the music? Did you just simply slow down and it started to come to you? Is that I, is it know, that simple? Can it be? I, no, I know okay. myself and I put things off unless I have a deadline. So I book. I'm, I'm an astrologer. So I looked at my astrology. When would be a good time for a CD release? And I booked mm-hmm. the date at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. Oh, nice. And then I worked backwards and was like, okay, I have to have a CD done by that date. So it was a March date. By the end of January, I had one tune. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> wow. And, and so you had to really get to it. You set yourself a deadline and... And I just had to, you I had to make it to happen. To it. Yeah. That is... Wow, I mean, I am, I'm inspired. It works. Yeah, it helps to know the astrology because I knew it would be a good time to put something out there. Yeah, but I'm happy to help you figure so it out. So you're putting out medicine. Yes, essentially. Yeah, and the medicine just showed up. The tune we played tonight, Water Lilies. I just improvised it in the studio, and then I wrote the cello part after the piano improvisation. But it was, and it's just a piece that just emerged that is actually pretty complicated. It's amazing. So when you settled it down to, I got to slow it down to something that people can take in, mm-hmm. in some part on a DNA level. Right. Actually, on that inner level, then somehow it just, just comes in. Yeah. It really, I sometimes, you know, what is it, necessity? limitation is the mother of style or something like that sometimes Mm -hmm. i feel like music is a game where you have to make it's like creating a game for yourself sometimes creating a good interplay between people and a way okay now you do this and i do that and it's like choreography or something like that i love that Mm -hmm. and and that's an aspect that people don't actually think too much about Mm mm-hmm it's fun. It's like, oh, this would be fun if you did this and I did that, and then that would be fun. And then that's, that's really why I cool. loved working with a group because okay. you could have. It's like working with a team. You so you're have. like a musical chameleon. Yes, for sure, for sure. But, but this, but I, I feel committed to following what I'm called to do okay. at any particular time. Well, this astrology thing, I just want to mention to folks that you did an astro. Cartography. Cartography reading for IMA mm-hmm. when we moved from Bodega, California to Goshen, Massachusetts. And you gave us the green light. You said Ohio would have been better to end, but this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has worked out really well, and I really trust you. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say, I did not want to move here. I mm-hmm. wanted to stay in California. But they, whoever they are, closed every door for us. But this one, we had to move here. Wow. I didn't want to really listen to the voices, but it was a direct order from the universe, apparently. And here we sit now. And I can thank you because it really helped me settle down into the inevitability of moving to where? Goshen, Massachusetts? What's up? (laughs) You know, I mean, it was really hard for me. I bet. But then you, I mean, you told us over the phone. We were already here, actually, and we closed... Right before 9-11. Wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's how long we've actually had this property. That's amazing. But in, you know, we try to tell people we had a whole other life in California and Bodega. Yeah. We were you sitting had in a our big, garage. big, life going yeah. on there. Yeah. Like we were sitting in our garage in Davis like in 88 or something. But it's idea, 87 maybe. Yeah, 87. With nothing. Nothing. I really? Mean, yeah. Somebody heard about IMA. They sent us a check. 
And then once we actually started it and we moved to a bodega, people would call us and just to see if someone would answer the phone and see that this place was actually real. Because this is, it is the, it's not the end, but it is the dream of so many women, yes. some men, mm -hmm. um, but is actually the actualization of what we've been talking about since women's music. Right, right. And I can't, you know, I can't gloss over women's music. We, you and I. Oh, uh, it's, it's could a, you just tell people a little bit about it? I mean, I wrote a whole book. I'm writing a <laughs> second book. Women's music yeah. was the greatest thing, and it still is. It's still going on. Incredible, it's phenomenal. The fact that women are in it is just sort of the tippy top of the waves of the story. Yes, I mean, I honestly believe that it's women who called ourselves in from eons ago mm -hmm. we decided we were going to do it and it happened to be in the early 70s that right we started to fly in i mean that's what i realized when i started to play with chris I'm like, what is this who is this i had no idea i had to figure it out because she wanted me to play with her i wasn't so interested because you know rock and roll right but when I went on the road with her, I realized it was rock and roll. The audience reaction oh. and the incredible joy of everyone being reunited. Yes. On so many levels. Yes. But please, I asked you to and speak being, about it. I started. Being empowered. It was phenomenal. Yeah. The support. It was really. Uh, well, and it was feminism and music. Feminism you know, and yeah. music. There was a whole lesbian component, but you didn't have. I was always hither and yon with that but the, <laughs> the, the, you follow your, yeah <laughs> yeah but it was just it was really about the love and the community yeah and just it was a huge movement that you felt just uh there was a long period in my life in my 20s where I had a big album with Teresa out and I had a big album with Daryl out and I would go every weekend. I'd do one weekend with all women, one weekend with all men, one weekend with all women, one weekend with all men. You know, like going back and forth and the back only person and forth. Who did that? I, I didn't even. It know. was insane, and it was just such a juxtaposition. But I really felt like when I was playing with the guys, I was. It was like a hazing thing, and a lot of judgment, and mm -hmm. I wasn't good enough, and mm -hmm. I wasn't clean enough. But a bit of all mm -hmm. this judgment. Mm -hmm. And then when I'd, I'd go hold my breath and go back to the women and it was all this love and support and just a sense of beauty going on yeah. that was just lifted you up. So I felt like almost I was mm. taking that into the guy scene, maybe why that music was so successful because I was kind of taking the energy from the women's music and bringing that sense of beauty into what they were doing, which was the hard, fast, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. I love knowing that. Mm -hmm. That really, that touches me quite a bit. Because essentially in women's music, I mean, yes, it was kind of hardcore feminism, and we all had a lot to learn. Right. And we learned it from, through, and with each other. There, were mm -hmm. a lot, there was lots of fighting. There also. was a lot of fighting. But essentially we were touching each other's hearts, and there was a lot of tenderness. Yes. That we were able to express. Yeah. You know, it was physical it was spiritual it was metaphysical mm -hmm. it was on so many levels and i have to say it was part of the reason why i had to leave rock and roll because i was something in me was not being was dying actually mm -hmm. and i didn't know what it was and i was so scared mm. because i knew that there was something i had to be in touch with and so between 1973 when i left fanny october 73 and i met chris 
75, summer of 75. And she did Change in the Change in the wow. fall of 75. And I went on the road with her in the spring of 76. In the interim, between the time that I played with her in the studio on Changer, I was doing a whole other thing with Jean and Bree and a whole coterie of women. And we were called the L.A. All-Stars. It was what I call Fanny Point One. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to give it up. Huh. Just like moving here to Goshen, being forced to move here to Goshen, sort of like every door closed on that scene. Right. And all of a sudden, there I was, hanging out with Chris and saying, okay, I guess I'll go on the road with you. I mean, she understood that I didn't really want to go, but she was fine with that. I was like, she's just like, come on, you know, let's get the show on the road. And everything conspired for me to go. Wow. You know? I'll never forget that first tour. It was so rock and roll. I can't imagine. Oh, people people out there, listen to me. You cannot imagine what that energy was because it was birthing itself. It was completely new. Something that was... I get goosebumps just even thinking Uh about it because it was completely new. And realizing it sort of from the boots up because I had no idea what I was getting into. That mm-hmm. was the interesting thing. Well, did Chris? She didn't have any idea really either, well, did she? I mean, I think intuitively she she knew. I mean, she had been on uh, on those massive gigs with her and Holly Near oh. and Meg Christian. We call that the hamburger tour. <laughs> I don't forget why. <laughs> the you know, hamburger tour. And uh, Margie Adam. And every single venue was completely packed. I went to the one in Oakland. They didn't even know I was there. I, in fact, I just told Chris recently that I bought probably the last ticket because I went to Heart Intensive with Muktananda that weekend <laughs> in Oakland. And they happened to be playing. And I bought a ticket. I sat way, way back in the balcony. And I remember, similar to hearing you and Teresa and Chris singing now, I remember hearing the thing and hearing the audience and going, yeah, this is, I didn't feel any part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I didn't, you know, I came into women's music through the back door, right? which kind of made it more powerful for me. Right. But hearing it from that balcony, I got the message. Mm. Yes, there is definitely something going on here. I don't know what it is, <laughs> Mr. Jones, but <laughs> it was incredible. It was, it was the energy of the universe. It was something right. that it had is. to be. And that you guys so are still true. carrying it forward, and we're carrying it forward here, mm-hmm. and I feel like... That's part of my job because really I'm the only woman who was at the beginning of women in rock. Right. And the beginning of women's music. Right. And they both totally surprised me. Right. You know, this little, I only hear out of one ear. I am a half Filipina, grew up in Manila, came to California when I was 13. None of it should have happened, but it did. It did. And it was a huge surprise to me. Wow. Both times. So I'm trying to pass it on as fast as I you can. You luckily had your sister with you the whole oh, time, so you had family there. That's right. Yeah. We never could have done it without... We, know, we didn't even really talk about it that much. Every mm-hmm. time a girl quit the band, we just would move forward. We'd just look at each other, put up more signs at the music stores, <laughs> you know, Make keep looking. And we kept finding really fantastic young women who were incredibly talented i mean it's a really it's like a wow. fable it's wow similar to you being in little paris right. and then being right back in suddenly the i'm in the garage that right. suddenly becomes a big thing yeah right mm-hmm. right so i feel like we're incredibly lucky that we Very get lucky. to hear the voices we get to ride the wind mm-hmm. somehow and be totally surprised 
Right. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised yeah. for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> and we're at a cusp right now, as everybody knows that the whole world is at a at a cusp. So yes. I hope that we can be of benefit and be of use and our music can infuse and help people settle down. Yes. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing these conversations with my friends, because we need to talk about it. Right. We need to talk about it and we don't need to go into all the hard stuff that happened and what is the metaphysical aspect of it that causes us to do this, to right. keep moving forward no matter what? Mm -hmm. I am very grateful. I think it's, it's a miracle. If I, when I look at my life, I feel like it's just one big miracle, really. It really is. And I hope I can help. And, you know, the planet is in crisis, but I personally know so many good people with good hearts in the right place that I do have faith that, that that's what is going to went out eventually but, well let's just mm -hmm. carry forth let's sally out into the universe and keep doing that thing that makes us and other people feel so good right because what else is there right i'm really grateful for women's music because i feel like the relationships in that whole scene were so strong and so i mean the good ones you know it's just they're kind of unbreakable yeah when i think of really all the people are. i got mad at and they're still my friends. Yeah. We amazing. need each other. Yeah. We need to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. We need to mirror each other. And we need to keep giving each other the heart and the courage to carry on, just mm -hmm. simply carry on. Because people dance, people sing. There is not one culture in the world that doesn't have music as right. a vehicle. Right. So the fact that we find ourselves here at IMA able to talk about it and know that we're doing it and right. that we're handing it forward is incredible. And I couldn't be more grateful. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> we're all so proud of what you guys have done oh. with IMA. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and you've you always much. been the documentarian. And here you are documenting this someday, oh, 200 yes. years from now, somebody will listen to this conversation. Again. Oh, absolutely. Well, what the they'll heck? listen to it sooner, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> 200 years from now. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, June. This Thanks. is a gift. Been wonderful. Copyright 2020 Institute for the Musical Arts, all rights reserved. Unauthorized copying, reproduction, broadcasting, or distribution of this podcast is prohibited.